Well, hey, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. It's part two. Part two of the first U.S. scuba training. You're here with the first scuba instructor of the Great Dive Podcast. (laughs) And me. And me. Interesting side note, Chris, Chris B, Chris Bravo. Yeah. Just started the scientific diver program over at Scripps. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, we were talking about that when when I first came in last night. So he was he was really digging last week's episode because it's like, oh shit, this is like the stuff I'm I'm just getting into right now is. So maybe we should say, ah, never mind. <laughs> Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Okay, so last we left off, old Andy Recknitzer and Connie Limbaugh were in the midst of developing the very first U.S. scuba training out of old Scripps Institute of Oceanography, which, by the way, we found out last night on our Zoom meeting that one of our listeners, good old Chris Bravo, had just started the scientific diving program at good old Scripps. And boy, was he happy to hear last week's episode. He's going to like this week's even better because this is where we get to the juicy details of what's to come in semester two. But if you remember, right, um, they were trying to get these you know protocols set up, trying to get like an operations infrastructure set into place because remember, they had nothing. They didn't have air compressors, didn't have dive boats, didn't have repair manuals for their equipment. They didn't even have goddamn wetsuits, for crying out loud, diving out in California. There was no dive shops. There was no training syllabus. There was no dive clubs. There was like nothing scuba-based really in existence. And they were setting up a program originally that looked at the psychology of the candidate coming in, the physical fitness of the candidate coming in, the mental aptitude of the candidate coming in, making sure that they were physically fit for diving, psychologically fit for diving, and putting together a pretty rigorous training program. Basically, the the stuff that they knew that they did to keep themselves healthy and happy and coming home to their families every night. And they wanted a system that as more and more divers started to come into the program, they could be sure of that as well. And the last thing that you and I were talking about was that they were A-OK with students not showing up to class two. And if somebody was 
uncomfortable with uh, what, what they were having him do there at the La Jolla Beach and Tennis Club, they would say, well, nice to know you. I thought they would say something worse. No, I think they're pretty respectable, respectful guys, but um, they had a standard of what they wanted. They had a vision for what the diver was going to be. And it was a time where, listen, if if you're not comfortable doing this, it's we're not just going to let you through just because we have to be nice. Kind of like they do today. Everybody gets a trophy, <laughs> Brandon. Gets a trophy. That's what I'm going to start giving out in my classes. Instead of certification cards, I'm giving out trophies. You make it to Dive Master, you get one of those like eight-foot-tall fake brass and wood cutout trophies that's really all pla- that's really all plastic yeah so andy was talking about how at the end of of last week's episode that everything that they were doing was really all a matter of trial and error and when you consider something even just like water entries right there, there was no giant stride entry there was no backwards roll backwards seated entry like that just is, is, is stuff that they just developed along the way. I used to do a lot of that uh, kind of uh, throw yourself in and do a little tumble and land on your tanks in the water. That kind of entry, that front roll. The, the forward roll? The forward standing roll, yeah. That was, uh, that was definitely, I, I remember that too. That was like the real jazz hands entry (laughs) you know at the at the end of class my old instructor one of them that was in the the trio of instructors that was his the one main instructor you'll remember mike hated it when marshall would like do the forward (laughs) jump roll in because you know every student wanted to try that oh yeah and and half of them nearly knocked themselves out with yeah (laughs) (laughs) it drove mike crazy but none of those entries existed it was just like a jump in, and, and they would realize that eventually, oh, we need to clean this up so that you're not getting whacked in the back of the head with, with all the scuba gear, and you do actually get far enough away from the boat that's chopping and churning out in, in some uh, uh, choppy seas. Yeah, I think if you don't give them a, a structured, like, hey, this is the way you do it, well, it leaves their minds to roam freely and invent their own ways, which I'm sure many ended up in the emergency room for broken bones and concussions and uh, catching shit on the cleats. Anyway. Yeah, not. Uh, it, it, it's hard to look like a respectable scientific <laughs> diver when uh, you're hanging upside down by a shoulder strap uh, to the cleat of the boat. Well, there's a lot of things you got to take into consideration. It's not just, you know, falling off a boat. It's all your shit hanging off of you, too. I'm always uh, reminded of a time when people get a little annoyed at, at us for cleaning up our gear all the time, you know, keeping everything tucked and stowed, and we're kind of militant about it to a certain degree, but those are the same people, you know, back rolling off the side of a boat and their light cord is stuck on a cleat or their fin strap. All the oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, in the, they're in the water, most of them. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but, but part of them is, is connected to the cleat by a retractor that's uh, <laughs> exactly. still back up on the oh, deck of the yeah, boat. Yeah, a yeah. wired retractor. Those are good for strangling people, at least like the uh, secret agents. It is like uh, the, the tripwire of scuba diving. And it, it, it kind of reminds me, actually, like like developing these skills on the fly, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the story of 
Andrew talking about creating the backwards kick in fundamentals, where it was originally, it wasn't really in the curriculum. It would later become like the number one reason people would take a class like the the fundamentals of DIR was to learn the backwards kick. But which originally, is, which it was is just... ridiculous on its face right there. <laughs> that just tells me you have put very little thought into scuba diving. Right. Why right. would you take this whole class? Oh, the backwards kick. <laughs> It's a long-ass class and a lot of work to learn to backwards kick. That's something you can look at a video and figure out. Eventually, yes. But again, it's still, even still today, so many people just want a nugget of that knowledge just to look flashy in front of, in front of their peers. I think that points to another issue as far as are you diving to look good in front of your peers or are you diving to go diving? And have practical tools in your toolbox right. that you can pull out as needed. Hey, to enjoy the diving. When you have the tools, when you have Wait, this you is know, about having fun? competence, you end, you end up enjoying it that much more. But if you just want to go learn to back kick, that's a hell of a class to take to learn to back kick. That's like uh, I became a doctor so I could learn to sew well. What? There's a lot to learn in those classes. I went to med school so I could... <laughs> I could play with the Pull off a Band-Aid easier. <laughs> so I, I learned how to take a blood pressure with a sphygmo manometer. But I do remember that being the big talk was the back kick. Yeah, yeah. And talking to Andrew originally, you know, it was everybody, even still today, has that perpetual forward motion. Well, because they're always moving you know, their fins. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so as an instructor trying to be neutrally buoyant in front of them, Stand still. The, the the backward kick just becomes necessary. Otherwise, They're, your students yeah. are just going to continue to creep <laughs> and crawl at you like the living dead. You know, just like constantly coming. Uh, uh, what uh, what uh, about coming the students? So- Did you ever have the students that are, they can kick forward way faster than you can go? They're like literally kicking around. So you have to like move to the side and let them go around in a circle while you're trying to do the... Uh, skills <laughs> right right <laughs> they're just swimming around in a circle as you watch they come back around you wave okay hey hey oh Clear you're your back mask, basic five <laughs> so andy if we get back to him says with the above experience connie and i then drafted the first sio training procedures operations and safety rules some of the greats we certified were bev morgan al tillman mel fisher Bill and Bob Maestrel, and Dr. Robert Dill, Dr. Edwin Hamilton, Dr. Robert Dietz, and others at the Naval Electronics Laboratory. The development of a refined syllabus and rules for prudent diving progressively got better as Connie and I found time to jot down what worked well and what didn't. Not all of our subjects passed, even under such loose formal training. One student was turned down for, quote-unquote, psychological reasons. Quote-unquote. So he's a psycho. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're, all right. We got to do something about batshit Bobby here. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this is not working. <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah, you have to have the right psychology, I think, if you're going to enter in a formal real dive program i and i would say like almost any program you have to have the right mindset for what it is you know just because all your friends are doing something does not necessarily mean that you've got the psychological 
aptitude to do it as well. So are you having a screening process for that <laughs> makes sense. You mean not everybody can do everything? Are you serious? Don't say that today. Everybody can do everything. And that's that's all there is to it. All right, let me get hang on. I'm gonna get you your trophy. Right, hang on. You Hold did on. you, you just get the little one for space. right now. I feel like but you're it's still a trophy. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have a safe space either. They just triggered them left and right and didn't give a damn. Oh, you're triggered? Good. And again, just because you understand the math and science that's involved in a in, in doing something new, and you, you can physically handle all the equipment that's involved in doing something new, you might not be able to handle the the psychological stressors, or at least you need to learn about them and spend some time like building up some awareness in that part of you, dealing with the cold, right? When your body gets too cold, your brain doesn't work the same way as it would when you're warm and comfortable and sitting in an exam room, taking a written test. Andy says, we were not sure just what was wrong with the student or exactly what we meant by psychologically unstable. He did not exhibit good scuba skills and displayed characteristics that prompted both of us to declare that we would not wish to dive with him as a buddy. Connie took on the responsibility of informing the student that he would not be certified. His reaction was a threat to kill Connie. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Connie. Oh, 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 I can't dive? Oh, I'm too we'll unstable for the scuba dive? We'll see. Who oh, can't you don't dive. think I should be diving? You son of a bitch. Maybe you shouldn't issue dive knives yet. You ever think about that, you son of a bitch? Come here. Yeah, I think you need to do that psychological evaluation before you issue the dive knives, before you issue a you know, a weapon, an actual weapon, although anything can really the, be a weapon. This was the learning process. This is, <laughs> this is, how, this is why you, you, nowadays yes. nobody gives an open water diver a dive knife. You got you to be into your advanced class before you can buy a dive knife. It's, <laughs> you don't need that dive nobody, knife. Yeah. Nobody wants a brand new student swimming around with a knife in their hand. But back then, first thing you got was a eight-inch dive knife and a spear gun. <laughs> Welcome to the class. <laughs> Uh, maybe we should give you a, a, a mask and fins too, but you got the knife and the spear gun. That's that's ninety percent of the reason why people were getting into diving. Well, yeah, they, I, I thought the first class was like they threw your mask and your rag and your fins down at the bottom of twenty five feet in the ocean, and they chummed it for sharks. And right. then they gave you your knife and said, "Here you go. This is going to determine whether you're fit for the uh, scuba Either class. You make it to class two, <laughs> or you don't." So go down there and get your mask. The rest of your gear is down there. That's why we only issue a knife on day one. Day one, morning one, hour one. Here's your dive knife. There's your equipment. There's the sharks. <laughs> right. And then day two, you got the spear gun. It's like, here's a list of everything you're allowed to shoot underwater. <laughs> And on the list, literally, was everything. Everything. It's not just, everything. Just one word. Like everything was allowed. <laughs> just one word. So Andy says that clinched our decision that he should not be certified. The fact that uh, he threatened to kill Connie. Well, no shit. 
And he says, no certification standards or restrictions existed against SCUBA at SIO until the loss of a UC Berkeley student brought changes by the university officialdom. There were no restrictions either on the use of SCUBA to spearfish or harvest abalone and lobster until a local but oldest in the nation, Skin Diving Club aided in getting state legislated restrictions on the use of scuba for taking lobster and abalone. Logic prevailed, and it was rescinded later. There were no science procedures or scientific tools. Early tools included screwdrivers, five-tine frog spears, bottles and hand nets, net bags, and soon quantitative Mensuration devices were developed. No equipment or guidelines for underwater photography. No camera housings. He says housings for 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter motion picture and still cameras were one of a kind home built units made out of plexiglass, fiberglass, and aluminum casings. Underwater correction lenses, light compensation filters, and exposure values had not been developed or tested. So again, this is still the day where everything that these guys were doing and using and working with was an adaptation of something that you used on land, but wasn't really practical. Like this would have been, like in today's scuba world, this would have been like an engineer's dream to be in a in a in a class back then, wouldn't it? Because even still today, the, the, you get in an engineering class, and, and all they want to do is like create a new way to do something. Reinvent. Like you should have been. You wheel. should have been in Connie and Andy's class yeah. back in 1950, dude. You know, and, and I'm all for reinventing stuff, but it's like first learn how to do it from people that have been doing it for a long time and then go ahead and say you're better and smarter than everyone else and try to reinvent everything but at least wait <laughs> hear them out get, get learn to do it first wait i should try it your way first <laughs> no i can look from over here and go yeah this needs to be redone i don't like that i don't like the where you move where your canister light why isn't that on your butt why why aren't you throwing that on the back of the tanks Right, right. Why don't you just mount the bottles upside down? Exactly. It's easier to reach those valves. Why isn't it that all, why don't we just re-engineer all the valves so all the valves rotate away from you? We can actually put them on little wires, little cables and, and hold them up close. I don't even have to reach down. I can, I can clip them onto my chest with retractable clips. I could zip tie them. Right to my what chest. if I just had a remote control in my hand? Oh, now you're thinking. That when I needed to con- control a valve, I can just hit this button here and it closes the valve. Put it on an app. Put it on your phone. Take it down with you. Genius. I see this mask clearing technique that you're trying to teach, Brandon. Yes. But what if we put a pump <laughs> in the mask? I don't, why don't we put we a little We had a hand controller. Pump. With a, yeah, some kind of a float on it. So it triggers a switch and it'll pump it out. It's, it's, it's easy. It's simple. It, and it works. And you don't even have to exhale out your nose again. Forget that. If we, if we basically took a miniature toilet <laughs> exactly. mask. That's all it is. Reverse it. Put it inside the mask. <laughs> so as you got water leaking in, a float would come up. Kick in a little mini pump. 
the pump would actually be housed on your tank somewhere in a in a housing so that the water can come in and, and exhaust out the back it's genius and all so all you got to do is hook this little hose up to your mask right it's simple right right but but you want it to be all integrated we don't want a bunch of extra stuff so the pump could be driven by the motion of the kicking well of that's the feet. a good that's a, i like so that you connect, kinetic you connect energy the housing uh, to a couple wires yeah, kinetic to your energy power source i like it you just got to keep swimming keep swimming keep flipping those fins if you if your mass floods i don't see any way this can lose see now now listen when we compare that to to what you just said, what, what'd you say? Just exhale out your nose? <laughs> That's ridiculous. What happens if you have a stuffy nose? Now what are you going to do? Clearly you're psychologically unfit for oh, I could have told you. <laughs> Andy reminds us there was no skin diver or any other magazine devoted to skin and scuba diving. You couldn't just get your tech tips. You couldn't just get your lessons of the day. Lessons learned because there were no <laughs> lessons to be learned yet, right? He says there's very little faculty support. Carl Hubbs, at the advanced age of 55, made but a single dive with us, but was an avid swimmer and supported us in our scuba diving program. At that time, $500 was required to outfit a diver. Mrs. Hubbs frequently complained about the strain on her husband's budget. Honey, I need some new fins. Uh, I'm, I'm 55 now. I, I'm having a hard time keeping up with these young kids in the in the in the scuba class. I need, but the guy at the dive shot says these ones have a, a split in them. It's gonna be easier to. Kick. Well, they should be cheaper then. I just. No, no, no. They're more advanced <laughs> because they cut them in half. They cut them in half. It makes them but more it's advanced. Less material. No. Okay. I need some things myself. Honey, this is it's about scuba diving. Five hundred dollars. Oh, is that all? That's it. Five hundred dollars. Are they atomics? <laughs> I know. I'm a bad man. No, you're not getting your goddamn fins. Get out there and cut the lawn like a good husband. God damn it. I don't know if I'd make a good wife, I don't think. I want Tupperware and I want it now. Honey, the Tupperware and some cigars. I'll just make sure I eat. I'll, I, I we no, we don't have any left. We won't have any leftovers. I'll eat everything. We don't need the Tupperware yet. I need these new fins, honey. You and your goddamn fins. You and your goddamn scuba stuff. Now, see, here's the first thing. You went and asked your wife if you could get some scuba gear. <laughs> now, what have we been teaching? This is maybe in those days because they had to learn. Nobody really knew, like, hey, scuba diving, you might want to just keep that budget thing under wraps nobody needs to know that you don't even want to go back and count it when you're done don't do that that would be bad no that's right just depressing. so basically you're hiding it from her and yourself <laughs> so if nobody knows did you really spend the money it's like if a tree falls in the forest no one is there to hear it if nobody really acknowledges the money being spent did it really get spent? <laughs> These are the philosophical <laughs> questions that you can only get from That's the Great right. Dive Podcast. This is maybe we should have our a webpage like on our website dedicated to this called the Deep Deep Thoughts of the Great Dive Podcast. If you yes. don't tell your wife about the scuba gear you bought and you refuse to look at the receipt, did you really spend that money? 
it's why I always tell people that they come in and they're him, they're, you know, they're doing the old him and haw and worrying about spending the money on, on something new. And I got to check with my wife. My no, wife's you don't. Gonna kill me if no, I you just don't. First this. mistake. I'm just not. First thing, just take this shiny <laughs> new piece. I know this sounds bad, but drop it on the ground, scratch it up, get like it you've had it for a while. And you just I've always you, had you that. Just like that I've old had thing, that for honey. A long time. I've had that for years. That could be the title of the web page. It's called "I've had that for years." That I've had that for years. <laughs> I had that a long time ago. That old thing. I had that a long time ago. <laughs> That's yes. how you do it, and then it just your collection <laughs> keeps just grows. Getting, shelves keep getting filled up. It's all in the subtlety of how you display or or put put everything on your shelf. You put your stuff away. If you can do that. With uh, I mean, that's really where the skill lies. I could probably teach this class pretty good because... Brandon, is that a new regulator? Ooh, this this piece of shit? I keep it in the box because it keeps is it that... looking new, but I've had this for a long time. Do you have more than one of those? Well, I've always had more than one of these. I've had these for a long time. James gave me one of these. <laughs> he just recently bought some new stuff, so I got his old stuff. He, he said he didn't need it. <laughs> don't let the wives get together though because each one will be going hey thank your husband for giving giving brando that that regulator and patty would say i thought brando gave james a regulator uh, <laughs> james told me he got one uh-oh yeah and you never want to introduce your spouse to the dive shop no, basically owner. you keep those you need to keep those worlds separate and most dive shop owners if they're worth the weight and salt they're not yeah, going to say anything like as a dive shop owner you can't you can't ever like meet brandon's wife and go oh hey your husband <laughs> best customer <We're> please <laughs> to meet what you. they want to hear that would be oh, you're, you're toast you're done for if that uh, if yeah. that happens right he he needs to be saying things like hey you need to talk your husband into spending some money here i mean I think I know your husband. He, I, he might have been in my dive shop <laughs> once, once before. before. Now, if you're a dive shop owner out there listening and, and, and you pull that one off, uh, you, you've got a customer for life. And in the early days as a shop owner, you've got to give a discount to, to, to keep a customer around. But you pull that one off, you could charge the guy an extra 20% if he knows your, his secret safety. It's called view. the secrecy tax. <laughs> the secrecy fee. And you're happy to pay it. It's uh, it's usually about one and a half to three percent. It depends on the price of the item, but there's a secrecy fee with all scuba gear for married couples diving, where just one of them is diving. I think if both of them are diving, it's bad news, unless they they both you know feed into each other. Well, then once once the cat's out of the bag, it's, well, what it's, if you're a couple yeah, like Jamie and Wolf? The I'm, I think Jamie's the one with the problem there, not Wolfie. Well, I, I think Wolfie um, eggs the problem on a little bit. <laughs> oh, we got two new scooters, huh? I've always had those. Okay. <laughs> Andy says there was no U.S. Navy experience with scuba. U.S. Navy sub-tender decompression chamber was used to test divers and to develop protocols for handling civilian scuba divers with bends or embolisms. There were no dive tables for scuba. Repetitive dive tables were generated for scuba by the U.S. Navy as the technique was slowly being adopted by that agency. 
competent diving medicine physicians for conducting physical examinations, emergency treatment, and therapy were scarce. Like there was nothing back then. Okay, think about those days, like the likelihood of finding somebody that could help you out if you did get hurt, you did come up too fast, you, you did have an issue. Like there's no one to even go to doctor-wise. I mean, even today, like a lot of physicians are very brilliant physicians, but they have no knowledge about diving medicine whatsoever. Hyperbaric medicine, yeah. Well, it is kind of a, it, you know, it's a niche, niche, whatever, niche. You uh, <laughs> you don't have a lot of people even studying it because it's there's not a lot of business in that area, you know, compared to the general public with medical, right? Issues, you know, yeah, like you, yeah, you compare diving medicine to sports medicine, it's not even in the the, the same ballpark as far as size and numbers. Okay, so let's look at the original organized. U.S. scuba training program content. So here's what we're going to learn. He's got some stuff in here about there's a physical examination, there's a swimming test, there was classroom time, and pool and open water training. This will be interesting to go back and look and compare that to today. So right off the get-go, you were given a medical physician examination and a decompression chamber dive in order to get into the program. Now, the, the medical exam still kind of exists today, right? You've got the, the just the medical statement to, to make sure you're in some semblance of decent health, which makes sense, especially knowing all the, the, the physiological issues that could take place. Now, I think the fact of them being an institute of oceanography, they, they had a, a benefit of having a, the ability to run a decompression chamber dive. That's probably a bit much for getting just Wouldn't getting cool. into a scuba class today, but kind of cool to to have a to having a controlled chamber to talk about pressure and ear clearing and narcosis and like all that stuff. There was a swimming test in a pool. You had to swim laps. You needed to be able to do an underwater lap, which when I did my original scuba class, we had to do an underwater lap. And we had to do a one-minute breath hold underwater. Was that something he added on? Just like a static? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, we had to do 12 laps of the pool. We had to do it with our hands tied, our hands and feet tied. Uh, Originally, it was I had to have a 20-pound brick tied to the tie of my feet. I would have killed for just a 20-pounder. My hands, my hands, I could, I could still cut my hands a little bit, but, but I also had to hold a 20-pound How did you luck out with that? Feet. I had two 20-pounders on each foot and one in my, my hands that are tied together. <laughs> we had, we, well, we did that at the beginning, but at the end on the final test, we just had to have the one brick and the instructor chased us with a dive knife. And we had to get to the other side before. Did he, uh, well, my instructor did the chasing too, but he actually would cut us. So he would he would give us cuts so we would bleed slowly so we would feel what it's like if you're going to die. So oh, he then only they, cut you with a knife? 
That's, that's all your instructor did? Usually. Ours, <laughs> to get us to swim faster, would shoot at us with a spear gun. And then... Um, we tried that. It wasn't strenuous enough. It wasn't really testing us, he said. So instead, <laughs> we had to tow a boat going the opposite way. So the boat was on a tow strap, and we had a harness, and it was carabinered onto us. And the boat would go the opposite way of us swimming. And we had to try to tow we it. We did that. Yeah, we had to do that in our basic with class. With the bricks. But when we got to... <laughs> We got to uh, advance. The uh, there was also <laughs> like while the boat was there, the instructor released the basic one A. <laughs> I'm telling you, we, it was a tough class. The Kraken. You guys only got the Kraken. Only one. He only released one though. It sounds like we had many. The Krakens were there all the time. They're cra- I thought everybody had Krakens <laughs> left, right, center. They're all over the place. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I really would have killed to get in your class. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I I barely had a certification. I bet everybody got a trophy, too. (laughs) Yes. um, Also, pool laps, underwater lap, they had to do the open water swim around the pier. Remember the 1,000-foot pier? They had to get out and around. And water treading. Yeah. Clapping hands over when your When I did my class, <laughs> we had to do 10-minute <laughs> water tread, last two minutes, no hands, hands, hands held up. Well, I was going to say, in, in commercial, we had to do the whole, ton, the whole 10 minutes with our hands up. And then we were in the water. You just had to stay in the water after that. You didn't get out. You just stayed in the water. We yeah, were in the yeah. water all day, every day. For the scuba portion, they really did a good good scuba class. And that's, of course, you know, no BCDs, all that. You'd, you're learning wading and you're swimming. and Right, yeah, yeah. Just uh, old-fashioned, hardcore scuba class. I liked it. I mean, nowadays, they've eased up the swimming requirements so much that you could... <laughs> you don't even have to swim. You can you can play around in the pool with Masvin Snorkel for... 15 minutes and like all right let's go yeah you don't even have to swim <laughs> mass fin snorkel and the, and your little swimmies on your arms your inflatable swimmies right that's perfectly acceptable that you get a waiver for that <laughs> oh you got the swimmies waiver come on board oh you, yeah you got the water wings waiver <laughs> exactly <laughs> in the classroom you learned the rudiments of diving physics and the rudiments on equipment operation and maintenance. Rudiments. Rudiments, eh? You don't. You do not hear that word very often. No, you don't. It's, that's a that's a good one. I'm gonna have to. That's gonna be the word of the day. So the word of the day is <laughs> yeah. rudiments. The word of the year is cocksuckers. Uh, so the cocksuckers had the rudiments down. The rudiments, the rudiments of diving. Please pass the rudiments of diving, you cocksuckers. I'm going to change the name of my one of my classes to diving. Rud- I'm going to set up. A, I'm going to do a new workshop called the rudiments of diving. I think that's going to be the title of my um, music band that I'm I'm forming. It's going to be called the rudiments of diving as well. Um, and my autobiography. It's, it's going to be the, the it's going to be the title of my three part miniseries. Uh, <laughs> Television show, The Rudiments of Diving. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I have a running, I, I guess you call it a joke, that whenever I say 
if I say something like that really sticks, like like the rudiments of diving, I would I'll say that's going to be the name of my band that I'm right, starting. Right. And my family just looks at me; they don't find it humorous. They, of course, they don't find anything I say really very funny. I don't think sometimes. But it's more of a funny, like you're weird, funny. I think they're laughing <laughs> at, at you. you. <laughs> I just laugh. Okay, so let's get to the nuts and bolts here. So the pool and the open water training. Let's do it. So the pool and open water training section involved, obviously, equalization of air spaces is going to be a big topic, right? And and still is today. Well, yeah, it's a uh, one of the things that people. Well, A, it's the safety aspect, right? Big safety aspect right there. Yeah. And I think uh, I think if we look back and just from what we read with some of the early Jacques stuff, I, I think that was just taught as something you got to learn to toughen out and, you know, uh, be aware and your body will kind of equalize. Whereas I think here they're actually getting to the point of, We've got this Valsalva maneuver right. that we're going to, you know, we're going to teach something so that we can actually get them to do this immediately, knowing that it's a skill that you're going to have to develop. Right. Rather than go and dive and you're going to eventually feel some pressure, you got to, you know, wiggle around a little bit and eventually uh, that pressure will go away. They were also teaching officially mask clearing and equalization of the mask, right? Because now we're adding that additional airspace as well as officially teaching snorkel clearing. Because when we remember talking about Dottie Frazier there a couple of weeks ago, remember her school class was weeks of skin diving. You were a very good waterman. Or woman. A good, good skin water diver. Good waterwoman, James. Water, waterwoman. You God were a very good water person. Then Hold you on. Became... That restricts me to human. What, if, <laughs> what about water... Creature, water organism. But you were really good at being in the water first. Yes. You got to become a very good skin diver next. It's a genderless organism. And then you became a scuba diver. Yes. Yeah, as, as you would think that would be the logical progression. To be a scuba diver, your first quality, besides being, you know, a human being, is you need to be comfortable in the water and you need not just comfortable. You need to be good in the water, be able to handle yourself in the water, basically swim, right? <laughs> you gotta be able to yes. You've had people in class that have uh, basically a fear of water. So if I want to be a mountain biker, I've got to be comfortable with just riding a bicycle on the sidewalk with no <laughs> training wheels first. <laughs> nope. No, not for my class. You don't, but. First, you're going to come into class, and we're going to get you some training wheels. No, you don't need to ride a bike to be in a mountain biking class. But that makes sense is what I'm getting at. Yeah, right. No, it, to, to me, it makes perfect sense. And I get there's a balance between trying to what, – what came next was, oh, let's make an entire – commercial industry out of this as well <laughs> some greedy fuckers like how can i make money off of this all right scratch the thousand <laughs> foot swim around the pier <laughs> get rid of that i just need to get more instructors involved how can i do that quick fast and in a hurry right you know why 
you know why we don't have enough people in scuba classes? Because there's not enough instructors to teach them. That's exactly right. If we create instructors, we will then have students. I think they got the cause and effect mismatched. There was a section on air supply interruption, which is still in, in the classes today, right? I think it's a valuable lesson. Like knowing that you're underwater, using equipment, no matter how good the equipment is, I think it only makes sense that you would have a, a, an important part of your training, the likelihood that that supply of gas could be interrupted while you're underwater and needing to deal with it. Yeah, that's a kind of a no-brainer. When you're relying on the equipment, you should be planning on that equipment failure and what you would need to do in case it fails. Yeah. I mean, it, that's everything. You know, as far as like if you look at fly, learning to fly, you're basically learning. You do spend a little about this is how the airplane works, but this is how you handle the airplane when it fails on you. That's Correct. a good portion of your, your coursework. Which is good. And, and a lot of times, you know, th this is part of why I think, you know, the essentials becomes so valuable is to really be able to internalize what it is we're trying to teach there. You kind of already have to know how to dive, right? Uh, you want me to teach you to dive? You kind of got to be a diver to really know how to dive because you're going to learn all those basics, but then like applying them in the real world is, is a whole nother level of, of training, which you're not going to get in two days of class. <laughs> That's why this stuff was weeks and weeks long to put out a diver who is comfortable and competent enough to continue on. Yeah. Proper use of a weight belt. Water entries and surface dives, which we still have, obviously, in a, in a scuba class today, right? Making multiple different right. types of entries, mm -hmm. right, should be discussed and gone over. Oh, yeah. Which is a, a, a devaluization of, of training when you're, you know, on the basic cruise trip. You know, on the basic cruise ship, and the only thing you've learned is that one entry. Right. Yeah, you never know what you're going to run into. I mean, some boats, you you do the back roll. Some boats, you step off, you know, the uh, stern section or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Some boats, you have Even to do to that. Even to the point where some, roll. yeah, some boats, it's a one-foot drop. Some boats, it's an eight-foot mm -hmm. drop to the water, you know. Entering and exiting from shore is completely different from entering and exiting from a boat, ashore with surf, you know. So having an instructor that can show you and explain all these different variations of being able to get into in and out of the water can be a very discussion that lasts a while when you're in a program that's not focused on let's hurry up and get done so this guy can buy a set of gear. Right. It's, it's the value is in having the, the student exit the program, a competent diver. Underwater donning of mask, snorkel, and fins. Did you have to do that in your, in your scuba class? So I threw all mm -hmm. your gear in the bottom of the pool and go grab it? Yeah, several times. For a while, like that, that was taken away from so many scuba programs as it being seen as like just a mean thing to do to students. But I think it's one of the most valuable skills a, a new diver can walk away with that 
there's all my gear laying on the bottom of the pool. Can I don't go down to 10 feet and grab it piece by piece and put it on? And I mean, that's a huge confidence builder. Well, yeah, all of that stuff is, you know, that they've done away with. A lot of it was just there for confidence. So you felt like I'm basically able to handle nearly anything that can be thrown at me underwater, whether it be losing a fin, whether it be your, your regulator getting knocked out, whether it be your mask getting knocked off. You know, when they went and changed it and said, oh, you can't take a person's mask anymore. You have to have them remove and replace it. Well, that's great. I get the friendly part, but the reality is when it happens, it's not going to be, hey, I'm going to take off my mask and give it to you. It's going to be accidentally kicked off or you're going to accidentally knock it off somehow or a current's going to take it off or something right and knowing even something as simple as diving down to the bottom of the pool to to throw some gear on i mean if if you can comfortably hold your breath for say 30 seconds or or a minute and then right you get tripped up and you have to extend that breath hold time when you can do that and and get through the job and get back up to the surface and wow i just that was a little bit longer than I was comfortable with versus shooting yourself into a sheer panic because you're approaching the, your maximum of 30 second limit. Th- th- those are two different psychological end games for, for the same thing you just did, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the biggest things you see is people panic when their mass floods now. Correct. I'm with you. To me, it's one of the key essential elements you, you work on in the class to the point that you're basically comfortable without a mask. You realize, hey, I don't breathe for my mask. So, If there is one skill that I think is the most important for a new diver to exit, it's not good buoyancy. It's not a great frog kick. It's being comfortable without a mask on. That is, a, that is the number one thing for a new diver to get comfortable with. If, if you can get comfortable with that, you can virtually do anything underwater. Agreed. Yeah, some people get it pretty quick. I think a good, a vast majority need to work on it for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no doubt about it. Every, yeah, because it, it's yeah. something. Eventually, I mean, they all get it. as a human being, you're, you're, you're not used to breathing that way. Right. So it, it you takes, breathe through yeah, your mouth and yeah, nose it takes all control. the time. Yeah. It takes practice. You, you've got to, one, you probably have to break just old idiosyncrasy habits of, of inhalation and exhalation and put them into a, a format that your body knows, well, I'm doing this underwater. I can't just do it any way my body wants to do it. I have to do it the right way. Buddy breathing was taught. You know, in, in, uh, in accordance with that old air supply interruption, you know, back then... It was just one mouthpiece that they had. Right, so how, do, how are the two of us going to get back breathing off of just this one mouthpiece? Rescue carries, right, which are still, still taught today. Ascent procedures, like having a, a, a formulation of, hey, we've, we've got to get up safe. We've got to get up slow. We have to get up controlled. It's not just dives over, shoot up to the surface as fast as possible. Uh, they, they were realizing, no, we need to actually teach an ascent procedure. They were taught about hazardous marine life and environmental hazards as well, which we still have in the scuba classes today. They were taught underwater hand signals and underwater navigation, safe ascents, and the last thing on the list is balancing buoyancy. And if we look back at scuba classes then and scuba classes now, like this is all pretty much still a scuba class curriculum right right although the the level at what somebody was taught 
in this program, a level of what is taught in a, in a weekend class today versus a, a very long in-depth program today, you could argue the value of, of one over the other, but the, the base curriculum, I think it's pretty impressive that just these two guys got together and here we are now 70 years later and it's still the the backbone of a class right those general areas of study i i mean that was pretty good they identified this is what needs to be the minimum requirement for a proficient scuba diver yeah and he says it is gratifying to note that on audit of present day training manuals that the above training content has not changed significantly since our scuba basics, quote-unquote, course was initiated in the early 50s. Right. So here's the thing. You've got basically the same general areas of study, right? But how long was that class? Oh, yeah. I mean... Compared to what it is, now you can get it in a weekend. And it's all the same subject matter. So what happened? How watered down did we get it? Maybe it was that they just talked very yeah those the back in the old days they were just slow talkers that's it yeah mass removal <laughs> yes so something was obviously taken out and if the subjects are the same it's to the extent that we quality on, on the quality of that mm-hmm. subject yeah no doubt about it which is why you know you don't learn Boyle's law in a scuba class anymore you just learn don't hold your breath yeah so are you still learning Boyle's law well okay sure don't call it Boyle's law because no because the students are too stupid to understand that I I find it very insulting when they do that stuff when they take shit away I do too I do too Uh, I would hope the students would be like what the hell of course they don't know what they don't know yeah they don't know they just they they just know the class was 99 bucks and we're going to be done by the end of the weekend if you go hey we need to take an hour and talk about science what (laughs) so after the scuba basics the scientific diver training started to come about as well. And he says, scientific results began to emerge with eye-opening discoveries that had remained elusive to surface-dependent data acquisition techniques. Alice's magic mirror had been penetrated, and a new world of discovery was available to the scientific disciplines that make up oceanography. Some examples that he gives us are that Scripps divers took advantage of every opportunity to visit a new site, shallow, deep, midwater, bay, shore, island, and inland. Stuff that they would have never really been comfortable doing without having a really solid scuba base. You know, many species considered to be rare were found to us to be common. Because right? now they can just <laughs> stay there. Right? Yeah. They're everywhere. <laughs> like, Holy shit. We just can't catch them. That's all. <laughs> right. Solely because they were located in areas where classical collecting techniques rendered them safe from the collectors. Learning to recognize living fishes was a new experience for all of us. New species of butterfly fish, the Chattadon falsifer. Oh, yeah. Remember that one from last yeah. week? Yeah. Isn't that the mascot? Was speared by me at a depth of 100 feet 
at Guadalupe Island, Mexico, during a collecting trip. Jim Stewart was a part of that dive team. This species was named the Scythe Butterfly and has been adopted as the SIO Aquarium logo. Nice. Yeah, nice for reminding of this. <laughs> reminding us of that last week, Brando. Oh, yeah, well. Dyke Rock, north of the Scripps Institution Pier, was our first source of larval forms, lobsters, etc., Kelp beds were a key scientific study area for the first five years. Sand areas, recovery of Indian artifacts, primarily from the surf zone in front of the beach and tennis club. Just think of all the shit that's lost in the water that you couldn't get to, or you wouldn't even think of looking for, but now you've got this equipment that allows you to go under for an hour, take a look, search around, play around. And early on, I think a lot of, I'm going to make the assumption that early diving, there was a lot of treasure hunting. Holy shit, I hope I don't die. Holy shit, I hope I don't die. Holy shit, I don't get eaten by a shark. Holy shit, I don't, uh, you know, all this stuff where you couldn't really have the, the mental alertness and awareness to really start the exploration. Whereas now that they've built this training program, I'm, I'm saying this is where the, the value of this training program is now you've erased so many of those fears and concerns and you've actually built a competent diver that you're now able to get so much more done in that same amount of time that they were getting underwater even in the first days of scuba. Yeah, when so much energy and time is being expended just to go blow bubbles, just blowing the bubbles, you know, and the, like you say, that little voice in the back of your head, don't die, don't die, that sucks away a lot of your attention and sucks away a lot of your ability to be aware of what's around you, and yeah, you wouldn't see anything. And and if we come back to what you and I have been teaching with the essentials and the fundamentals for so long, that's really what we're coming back to is because the programs got so watered down over the the decades of, of creating a marketable product, this is what divers still today are missing is they're, they've come to rely so much on the technology, right? And, and the, the greatness of the, of the equipment that's out there, no doubt about it, but it takes away from that comfort zone to really open up your own personal awareness, which is, I know what you and I have been trying to capture in our students now for a couple of decades. Right. Building that competence. The competence only comes from work and practice yeah. and, and knowing what to be competent in. Uh, I, I just kind of scoff or I chuckle, whatever you want to say, at people that think, oh, I can become a competent diver in a weekend. What does that say? I mean, to me, it's very kind of insulting, like, oh, I can learn to do what you do in a weekend. Right. You fuck. Fuck you, you <laughs> cocksucker. <laughs> right. All. Uh, wait, wait, wait. You took... 30 <laughs> you've taken 30 years to do this you're why, an idiot why didn't yeah wait it took you decades to get down mm -hmm. to 200 feet why didn't you just buy a rebreather after your week you can just class, go Brandon? exactly you go get in, go you take a quick class somewhere feet. all it takes is uh, you just gotta buy a rebreather yeah. you'll be fine yeah just get a rebreather and take a a weekend class crawl around on some wrecks and call it a day 
I guess my thing is, too, also, I mean, the people that argue with us, and there's plenty. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been to the other side of the fence. That I was over there. I could tell that this is not how it's supposed to be done. It doesn't feel right. And, and that's why I kept moving on. And then when it does click, you're like, oh, there it is. I knew I, you know, I knew I was searching around in the dark for something, and I found it. Yes, it's nice to validate your your paranoia. You know, <laughs> what are you looking for? I'm, I know there's something missing in diving. I know there is. Yeah, it's nice having the illumination right. of the light bulb clicking. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. it's it's huge confidence builder. Yeah, having it click, knowing that you put the work in. Right to earn to earn the, the the clicking of the light bulb. That's the, that's where the the appreciation comes in. Right. Well, then yeah, you kind of get it. You're like, okay, this more divers need to get this. But that's good. That's good stuff. That's uh, that's the takeaway of this for sure. Andy says that submarine canyon processes were studied by Limbaugh, Dill, Murray, Reichnitzer, Fleming, and others to support the efforts of Shepard. And Inman, islands of Coronados, Guadalupe, Catalina, Gulf of California were explored and new ranges were established for a number of vertebrate and invertebrate species as well as algae. Extended ranges, discovered new species, opened the way for shallow water ecology. Fager said, you can't be a marine ecologist unless you can scuba dive. Scientifically, things were moving fast, and our cup was full exploring, collecting, and enjoying the then pristine coastal diving. We lectured widely and displayed our underwater slides and movies to groups, large and small. So this was, uh, that was the birth of it, right? Yeah. Well, I'm curious. You know, I remember working with Andrew when he was developing the course, right, the Fundies course. And from basically when it was a workshop I was with him, Till it was developed into a course. Yeah, an actual and class. And yeah. so, you know, I wouldn't see him for a couple of weeks or we'd, we might talk on a phone or something, but he'd come back and he'd have the stuff broken down in clear, concise, you know, the headings and, and here's how we're going to do this and the structure of the course. You know, he really did a good job of that. He really put it all in a nice orderly uh, manner. But the cool thing was the developing of it. Like, oh, like, like you brought up this backward kick has to be a part of it. It has to be the little hook because a lot of people dig it. Right. They want, they want to learn how to do that. So you had that and, of course, the awareness. Yeah, you know, flat, situation flat awareness. trim and a backwards mm-hmm. kick became the hook of the class. Right. Yeah, what, and, you're, and, what you need to look like. if you like. got through it all, right, you, you come to the re- realization of, of just what it all opens up. And, and back then it was we, we need to put together a real scuba program and look what it opened up to these guys. And then like what you were saying with where Andrew took it with that class, right, uh, kind of redid that because they got rid of so much of that stuff. Right. He, and he tried to add a lot of the old, at least the rigor that used to be there uh, because there's value to it. And he, as an educator, he was already a, a, you know, he's a pilot and he was a pilot instructor. So he, I know he borrowed from that education system. A lot of the methodology uh, that we used in the fundies, you know, those laws of learning, learning laws, whatever you want to call them, education, um, things like that, how the how the mind works when it's learning 
So you, you built that into the class too. But it was just interesting to see it form over the period of time. And I'm curious if these guys kind of did the same thing. They just kept honing it and honing it. They run a class then they'd have a debrief and say well this worked well with the majority or this didn't work well this seems to build a stronger diver in this area or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. you can go on and on but just the developing of the class over time and the honing to get it to what you what you have you know yeah in my opinion the essentials becomes the new ground of of fundamental learning right well, it is. Because your first class for most divers is, hey, we decided to go down to Mexico for vacay. We got to get this little scuba certification so we can slap around on the reef. And then finally somebody who's already certified comes in and they go, okay, now I guess I really need to learn how to dive. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what that training has, has, did for everybody. Right. I think that, yeah, the open water class is basically an experience class to see if you want to learn to dive. The problem is it's mislabeled and people believe I'm certified for life. What more do I need to do? I got this card. I could take an advanced class, but I don't need to. I can still go get gas at the shop and I can go blow bubbles and flop around in the mud. And yeah, the vast majority, nothing's going to go wrong, but you could really be enjoying it. So yeah. much more. And the funny thing is, it's just the fundamentals. So our idea of fundamentals and the industry idea of fundamentals seem to be different. When I used to teach there for GU and they say, what are you teaching? What do you teach? And I say, the basics, the fundamentals. It's the fundamentals of diving. It's a mass. Yes. Clearing. It's mass clearing. <laughs> it's uh, propulsion techniques. It's buoyancy. It's in its awareness. And we talk about equipment. And you try to tell them, and they're like, that sounds like an open water class. Well, uh, it kind it, of is. Well, it is the open water class that should be being taught to a, a great Absolutely, degree, yeah. right? And then now you're ready to go learn after you take the fundamentals or essentials. Now you can go learn to dive. And that's when you go take a cave or a technical or whatever, a higher recreational level. Or you s simply stay recreational and, and go diving. Just really do things clean and smooth and, and well. enjoy it. I mean, besides looking so good and more. all that, you just enjoy it. You're not flopping in the mud. You, you don't look like a monkey. Okay. <laughs> it's, no offense to monkeys and et cetera, et cetera, but don't want them underwater. All right. Let's talk about Andy's epilogue here to close this out. He says, from those Genesis years has developed a major commercial field and a well-established infrastructure that extends to the far reaches of the earth. How convenient it is to find competent personnel and well-equipped dive facilities beckoning for customers throughout the world. We were privileged to be among the very first to see the fruits of our volunteered labor. Having such a universal impact is the most satisfying. Fortunately, there appear to remain more diving days ahead for this author. He says, after more than 40 years of diving, I was instantly carried back to those meager beginnings at SIO. I went to Siberia in 1989 to conduct a series of scientific scuba dives. There, I was proudly escorted into the USSR Academy of Sciences Lemonological Institute, Lake Bacal Diving Locker. Now, that's cool. That is pretty sweet. The equipment and facilities were reminiscent of what we had first assembled to support us in the early 1950s. The two hose regulators were handmade copies of the Aqualung. 
The CDAM International Scientific Dive Team from the U.S. came well-equipped with a new air compressor, tanks, regulators, and other gear that was present to the Institute at the end of our diving program. Interesting, too, they do not normally practice the buddy system, but employ tether lines from the surface to each diver. As they dive under the lake, ice-covered, and in near-freezing water, they are reluctant to give up this successful signal and recovery system. It is gratifying, he said, to see how much scientific scuba diving has contributed to the knowledge of the sea, lakes, and rivers, and that it is now a widely accepted tool for scientists worldwide. Furthermore, scuba diver training can be credited with, and he lists out, making scientific diving important to many scientific disciplines, ensuring that training and certification remains within the community and sustains a viable diving safety record, national and international diver certification organizations, diving equipment manufacturing industry growth, communication media, exhibitions and conferences, major tourist and recreational industry, and a strong environmental preservation code of ethics have all come from the fact that they took the time to put together that original scuba training program. And he says, I take personal satisfaction when I read that the early training procedures and protocols were implemented for the first time at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography have been sustained with minor changes and, albeit improvements, to provide millions of certifications from within our own community and not a public bureaucracy. Scuba diving training organizations have taken them over uh, the training to all who wish to dive. He says, I am grateful too that Connie and I were followed by Jim Stewart and the national and international cadre of scientists that have added scuba to their research capabilities, leaving a legacy from one's efforts is worth more than money. And he closes out by saying that clearly there is more to the story of the first U.S. scuba training than what has been presented above. Eric Hanauer, Zale Perry, and Al Tillman, Ed Cargyle, and others are setting into print some of the experiences of the pioneers in our field. Earlier books and publications are references worth seeking out for tidbits of lore of how it was in the beginning in the U.S., Europe, and elsewhere. This paper, he mentions, seeks to whet the appetite to locate, seek more from those still living, and the literature of lore. Literature of yore. The evolution of diving gear needs to be available in the form of museum exhibits. Many of us have some of the original hardware that will likely be lost unless it finds its way to a permanent repository for preservation and display. In addition... The history of scuba diving is presently available in the memory banks of the early scuba divers. The remaining time to relate what they remember is waning as memories fail and Father Time takes its toll. Oh, Father Time is taking a toll. And unfortunately, we, we lost old Andy a couple of years back. What about Buddy? Buddy hung tough. Buddy hung tough, but Andy died. <laughs> Buddy hung tough. Andy died. No, it, it's supposed to be Andy hung tough and Buddy died. Over Macho Grande? I'll never get over Macho Grande. Classic movie that will go over the heads of a lot of folks here. 
so how were we supposed to finish this strong okay. with that hook? What was that hook again? <laughs> Something about okay. Well, the hook. I think we wanted to like we want to finishing walk sentiment away, anyway, reminding the people that a diff a difficult pro a difficult diving program where you don't just necessarily pass is pr- the best class you can take. So uh, all right. So let me ask you, Brandon. Yeah, ask me. So like, what's your takeaway from? what this first U.S. scuba training class is compared to the, the state of the typical open water class today? Well, I think, I mean, the, the evidence for how I feel about the industry is right there in front of us with this story where these guys developed a several-week-long course that basically is the same general material presented right? The same areas of study, but now we can do it in as little as a weekend, you know, not even a full eight hour day weekend. You can do it and be certified. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So to me that says, well, what happened to the class? Was that class just a bunch of bullshit material that could be leaned down or cut down to the bare bones thing we have right now without any adverse effects? It couldn't. I think the yeah, the, the issue becomes like we have accepted the lowest common denominator. Hey, make the bar lower and lower so we can get more people in it. And that's, that, I mean, when does and that work well? Got, when does that work well? I agree, man. I agree. Like the industry became happy with the lowest common denominator of of output rather than saying, okay, yeah, we're not going to have as many people certified because the 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 restrictions in ability are preventing them. But like if it, if it went the other way where it wasn't about the certification, but it was your competency as a, as a person in the water, we would have a different look at that very thing. Right. I mean, cause the, the people are going to go, well, we have a swim test and our, you got to, this, this is a swim test. Well, no, <laughs> that's a big difference. Right. Like you swam and swam and swam until like you were more comfortable swimming than you were walking to the the pool, you know, like it's that level of swim versus we swam for almost 10 minutes, got that out of the way as fast as possible. And most people are barely getting through that. I mean, they'll get through it, but they're struggling and you're going, how do you feel about passing this person? I you're very conflicted internally. Half of you is like, oh, I will, they really want to learn to dive. And by the standards, I have to pass them. They did it. But my personal standard says you need to be able to comfortably do your little 10-foot or 10-minute swim. Comfortably or 10-minute float now. What am I talking about? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And you can do the swim with fins and, on. And it's just a little longer. Becomes, yeah, and comfortable becomes so subjective. Right. And, I don't know. I I think there's more value into something you really have to put some work in versus basically having a card handed to you uh, for attending, getting your trophy. Right. Well, I I guess at the end of the day, I'm going to have to come away saying that I actually, for the sake of me continuing to teach the essentials, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm actually glad (laughs) that things got so watered down because there is a, a there is a, a huge market of people that have certification cards which are realizing 
the same worth the paper. They don't it's have printed the comfort. <laughs> they don't have the comfort and confidence right. in the water. And they want to move on to other forms of diving, uh, you know, extended range diving. Uh, and you can't do that safely and feel good without having those fundamental, essential, basic skills down pat. And that's what they used to really do. You came out with the basic skills down pat. Their idea of basic is not the same idea as a basic we have now. Yes, correct. It's totally different, right? They, they didn't have an understanding of buoyancy balance and trim and propulsion techniques like we have now. But the core competency for the level of knowledge at the time was on a completely different ball game than where certification would go two decades later. And it all became about the card, not the level of knowledge and ability. Right. And then, I mean, their defenses, look at the statistics. I mean, statistically, we're one of the safest sports ever. My response to that would be, what do you think the statistics would be if you had a real course? The statistics would be nearly nil. I mean, if you had very competent divers coming out of the class... You put in a little extra work. You actually made them work. <laughs> Boy. Yeah. And, and right now that exists, but you as the consumer, you got to look right. far and wide to find an instructor that is able to give you that level right. of training. And as an instructor, you got to sit around a long time <laughs> waiting and hoping and praying and starving, waiting for a customer that, to come in that actually cares enough about it go to, the extra mile to want to yeah go the extra mile level of right. class. Yeah. but yeah. that requires the instructor the, to know too james many instructors yeah. do not know what they don't know and they're they got the uh sheepskin rolling yeah. down this rabbit it's a hole. rabbit hole it is and uh it is a rabbit hole yeah we need alice's looking glass all right everybody well hey that was the very first u.s scuba training program Based out of Scripps University, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that. That I, that was fun stuff. I enjoyed yeah. doing episodes like this, really digging deep into some of these old old publications and and getting to the root of of where scuba is today and and where it was and how we got here. I I, I love this stuff. I'm a nerd for all these kind of uh, things. So uh, hopefully we'll have more coming at you soon. And we hope you guys enjoyed this. We should sign logbooks this week because we didn't last week. And if you will remember. Uh, this is one of the troubles that old Andy and Connie realizes there were no logbooks back then. We couldn't even log and keep track of stuff, and it's important that we do that. So let me have your here, book here. Take my goddamn logbook. Um, okay, thank you very much. Um, the rudiments of this <laughs> logbook signing are clear <laughs> in this signature. Thank you. Dear James, uh you took rudiments from me, you bastard. <laughs> and now I don't have anything witty Wait, to add. Was, so there you go. Safe uh, diving. That's my that's my signature. You took rudiments from me. <laughs> Why? Why? Now I need a new title for my autobiography. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Safe diving.
Bro, 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 bro.